Welcome to Live from the Ballpark. On this episode, you'll hear the story of a Major League franchise celebrating its 60th year and of the broadcaster and lover of baseball history who created that team soundtrack for 30 of those 60 years. And he said, oh, back in those days, if you traveled to Europe and somebody found out you were from Houston, they immediately identified it with the Astrodome. And this is what it did. And I I think a lot of the people who are in favor of tearing down the Astrodome really need to hear these stories and understand the significance that it had in putting Houston on the map. Welcome to Live at the Ballpark, sharing stories from players, managers and coaches, writers and broadcasters about their lives around baseball, from the sand lots to the big league ballparks. Hi, I'm John Frost, and my guest today is Bill Brown, a member of the Texas Baseball Hall of Fame and the Media Wall of Honor at Minute Maid Park, and for 30 years, the play-by-play announcer for the Houston Astros. Bill, thanks for sharing about your life at the ballpark. Well, thank you, John. We always have great discussions, don't we? And now you're a, you're a noted author again. How many how many books for you now? Oh, it's about six or seven. Wow. And um, yeah, this is it. But uh, <laughs> I keep saying that. Do you but, say that every time? Yeah, I do. But this is it, really. Okay. Okay. It's work, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a lot of work. But fortunately, <laughs> the two guys we're going to hear from a little bit later uh, did a lot of the work. Right. You know, Phil right. Boudreau did a lot of the writing and Mike Acosta provided a lot of the graphics and his own special expertise. Right, right. So when, you, when you're pondering doing a book, and this book, of course, is the Houston Astros Golden Era 60th season, brings fifth straight playoff team. So you wrote this on the uh, anniversary of the 60th anniversary of the Houston Baseball Club. Right. And so what goes into deciding you're going to do a book like this? I think just trying to understand where this part of the history of the team belongs in the, all of the 60 years. And that is at the top. You know, this, this is the high point of the team. But then the question that we can't answer this book is, how much longer will this era last? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for you, 60 years, you divide that by two. And you've been there for 30 of those years. Yeah, I was very fortunate to do that. And, you know, when you look back at the beginning and see Gene Elston was the original play-by-play voice of the team, and he was there for 25 years. And then Milo Hamilton came in. He and Gene overlapped by a few, but Milo was there for, I don't know, 28, something like that. So it's we, you can see people don't want to leave these jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's, uh, there are three initials by all three of your names that is HOF. Well, that put you in pretty good company. I can't uh, claim the status of those two gentlemen, but uh, as you well know, it's just fun to be around people who are that passionate about what they do, and hopefully some of it rubs off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, you have a dedication in this book that I want to share, and then maybe you can comment on it. Because this struck me as as I was planning for our conversation. You wrote, this book is for the true baseball fan who keeps their loyalty to the sport despite... And this is appropriate to say today, work stoppages, a pandemic and personal travails for some. It's been a marvelous diversion for those who have spent so much of their lives absorbed with a sport that has a magnetic attraction. That's your dedication. And uh, yeah, this this winter has been difficult for all of us with the happenings overseas uh, and with no baseball to talk about. So it's probably a low point for a lot of people uh, for a long time. Uh, and, and we know there are going to be low points uh, at many times in our lives, but 
uh, baseball will allow us to escape the worries that we all have. And um, I'm glad it's back. Well, even in just the few minutes you and I have to talk just before we started recording, the time that we're recording this is right after they've settled the lockout. And you and I have been talking some baseball here, and it just feels good to talk baseball again. It does. I haven't really wanted to talk baseball yeah. for the last 99 days, right? Um, it, it just doesn't seem that it's on the horizon because the, the wounds were so deep that have been cut between the arguments of both sides. And I think most of us fans tend to really withdraw from that because it lessens our passion and enjoyment of the game. We just want to get it settled. We don't care who the winner and loser are, but we want to see the game on the field. And that, I think, is the the, the resonating part for all of us is that we just want to see baseball. Mm -hmm. Don't bother us with the economics of it. So let's dig into the book. In writing this book, were there any surprises for you? I know there were for me. I mean, I grew up a Texas boy and have a long history as a baseball fan in Houston and Dallas and other places. But as you were putting this thing together, were there surprises for you? I, I think there are always uh, surprises, even though you may have written articles before, depending on what you do, or, or you know, read uh, articles or books from the history of the team. But uh, there, there's always something that comes along that you weren't aware of, and it's interesting to try to add that uh, to your to your background the history of the team as far as you see it as a fan so yeah there, there were some of Phil Boudreaux's stuff and that's that's why I'm so glad that Phil came into the team the best and worst trades in the history of the team and I had read those articles before but I think he did a really good job of uh, categorizing and compacting them so it's it's very easily enjoyable by any fan who reads it right couple of things that that I didn't know or I didn't remember was the the story that you told about Gabe Paul being the first general manager of the team and apparently he didn't get along with the judge so he wasn't around very long even though that's a very famous baseball name no he was not around very long he was only around a few months in fact and he had brought uh, Tal Smith from Cincinnati with him Uh, they were two of the very first employees of the Houston Colt 45s 1960, they got there, and and the team didn't even start playing a game until 62. So this is going way back in history, and it's just fascinating. Uh, You know, and and Judge Hoffines did so much uh, in creating this empire and and building the Astrodome. He was such a visionary, but uh, he was a very strong man. Gabe Paul was a very strong man. And when Gabe came to Houston, he had been essentially acting almost as if he was the owner of the Cincinnati Reds because at the time their owner was Powell Crosley and he lived in South Carolina and he came to Cincinnati twice a year and really had nothing to do with the maneuverings of the team. Mm -hmm. So when Gabe Paul took over as the man who was going to run the Colt 45s, uh, he didn't expect the kind of interference he got from Judge Hoffines, and they just were not compatible, so Gabe left. The other story that you told that I did not remember hearing was that uh, when they were trying to decide what to name the franchise as they moved into the Dome, there were several different options. And tell the story about how they decided on, on the Astros. Well, well they, had, they had a contest, and um, Colt 45s was uh, the original name, as you know, 62, 63, 64. Now they're moving into the Astrodome. And um, they're getting some pushback from the Colt Firearms Company 
about some trademark infringements. So they realized that they didn't want to be embroiled in lawsuits and they didn't want to pay a lot of money to the firearms company, so they needed to change the name of the team. And they, you know, you were mentioning before we went on here, the Stars was one possibility. Uh, the fans had recommended a lot of different nicknames. There was a contest. And uh, they just they gravitated toward the Astros uh, for a couple of reasons, and, and not, not even knowing there was going to be AstroTurf in another year after they opened the Astrodome, but by necessity. But, you know, just the connection with the uh, space industry was very strong. And then uh, that was the name they chose, and uh, they wound up with a, a bunch of astronauts throwing out the first pitch, the first game in the Astrodome. <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember all that stuff. Yeah. And, and the Astronauts, the uh, the band that would play. <laughs> Astro Dillo, Astro Jack. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. I think, I think one of the things that you cite in the book, too, is the impact that the Astrodome had on the city. Yeah. Because I think one of the things that you say is it really made Houston a modern city. Yeah. That when people thought of Houston, they thought of the Astrodome. And prior to that, it had been a cow town. Yes. Or oil town. Yes. And you remember, I don't know if you've ever met the sports writer Mickey Herskowitz, longtime Houston sports writer. He's written 50-some-odd sports books. And I interviewed him uh, one time a long time ago about the whole Astrodome phenomenon. And he said, oh, back in those days, if you traveled to Europe and somebody found out you were from Houston, they immediately identified it with the Astrodome. Mm -hmm. And this is what it did. And I I think a lot of the people who are in favor of tearing down the Astrodome really need to hear these stories and understand the significance that it had in putting Houston on the map. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is a collaboration. You brought in two of your buddies to help write this book. Tell me about that process and how did that develop and... What role did they play? Well, the first part of the process, John, is that I know that (laughs) at my age and uh, with with waning energy for writing another book, I was going to have to have some help. And I also needed some fresh material. So uh, Phil Boudreaux was close to retirement at that time. He's now retired. And he used to sit next to me in the TV booth and hand me all these little factoids that made me sound like I knew everything about the history of the team when really I was looking at him thinking, boy, I hope he's right on this because I'm going to act like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, so Phil was great. In, in He has notebooks on everything about the history of the team. And I knew he would have some things that I wasn't aware of that he could offer in this book and uh, just little diversionary articles you know, we mentioned the best and worst trades, things of that nature. He had stories about the arm farm when Tal Smith was uh, developing arms in the minor leagues, and this was going to be the way to get the team to a championship. And he described uh, all the moves that went into drafting and signing some of those pitchers and then trading for other pitchers. So that was interesting, I thought. Uh, and various things like that. And then Mike Acosta has all these photos of, you know, Jeff Bagwell's glove and, uh, different uh, memorabilia and things of that nature photos artifacts from uh ticket stubs from the first game in the astrodome things like that that i thought would be interesting to sprinkle in throughout the book to make it kind of a little more interesting to read you also did something that was interesting i i think i saw a lot of this on social media where you would post trivia questions that were in the book did you have a favorite trivia question that you ran across that kind of brought back memories well, I think you and I had talked about the one 
about the Grand Slam, right? Right. And, and you're the one who suggested that we do trivia, so I have to give you all due credit because... Well, no wonder I like it. Yeah, I, I must <laughs> tell you, John, that has done so much for the sales of this book. Mm-hmm. And I've never been a big trivia guy, but, yeah, okay, who, who hit the most Grand Slams in Astros history? And that, Okay, yeah, the good, the good fans might know that, but most people, it would be a head-scratcher for them. Mm-hmm. And so I really enjoyed it. I got into it. I didn't know many of the answers. Answers, but I thought, hey, this is uh, something that will cause you to just pause your reading for a while and think, and then you want to know the answer. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it adds an interesting element to the book. Yeah. The baseball trivia questions that I like so much are not really the ones that give you just an answer. They're the ones that make you go, wow, I had no idea that had ever happened. And one of the th- ones that I particularly like about the Astros is the Evan Gaddis question, which is a player could actually lead his team in triples without ever having a stolen base. Yeah, that That's was fascinating. Great. And you, yeah, you attached onto that one, and I hadn't even remembered it when you brought it up. But then, you know, you think of big, old, lumbering Evan Gaddis. Now, he would be one of the last guys. Yeah. Most fans would choose, even though they saw him do it, it's just kind of blotted out of their memories that this guy had so, what do you have, 11 triples, and it's ridiculous. Yeah. And he was slow. <laughs> what, are your, what are some of the stories that you remember about certain Astro players? For one thing, I know you, you talk some about people who played for the Astros that you, you don't even remember they played for the Astros. Yes. In fact, you have an entire section that you call Solo a Game. Yeah. which I found fascinating. Talk about that particular well, section. Well, the one I, I really attached myself to uh, in terms of just being interested in it because of the Moonlight Graham story in Field yeah. of Dreams yeah. is uh, Larry Yount, yeah. Robin Yount's older brother. And he was a pitcher who had been in the Astros minor league system for years. He got called up in September. He was warming up in the bullpen to come in for his first major league appearance. His arm was bothering him. But he thought, well, I'm not going to tell them that my arm's bothering me. When I haven't pitched a game in the big leagues, I'm going into the game. And he got into the field mound and was taking his eight warm-up tosses. And his arm was killing him now. I mean, it was really bad. And so the pitching coach came out, and and Larry admitted his arm was bothering him. And they said, okay, fine, we're going to get you out of this game. Well, he never, ever pitched in a major league game. That's amazing. And, you know, he kept trying to work his way back after the arm trouble, and he was in the minor leagues for some more years, and it just never happened. But this is, this is the oddity that even a lot of fans may not know. The fact that he had been on the mound on the field warming up meant that he made an official major league appearance, even though he never threw a pitch. Never threw a pitch, never faced a batter. Yeah. That's but he's right. still in the record book. He still was a major leaguer. <laughs> uh, that's that's a that's a great story, and obviously he was uh, the brother of uh, Robin Yount, and, and I believe maybe even his agent. And yeah. of course, Robin Yount is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and Larry went into real estate and did quite well in Arizona in real estate. Yeah. So it's, there's a happy ending to the story. That's that's right. <laughs> um, as you know, Bill, one of my stories is that I my very first major league game was the very first game in the Astrodome. I was a little kid. My dad just decided, hey, we got to go see this. This is just amazing. 
And so I was working a minor league game a few years ago, and I noticed that there was a scout in the press box that was wearing cowboy boots. They're really nice cowboy boots. And of course, I live in Florida, so you don't see that very often. So I decided to go up to him and introduce myself and said, hey, those are some pretty nice cowboy boots. I said, are you from Texas by any chance? He said, yes, I am. He says, I live in Irving, Texas. And I said to him, my very first major league game was the very first game in the Astrodome. And he looked right at me. And he said, who got the first hit in that game? And I thought, wow, this, this is going to be an interesting conversation. And I went, well, Mickey Mantle did. He was my childhood baseball hero. And then he looked at me again and he said, who got the first hit for the Astros? And I didn't know the answer. And he said to me, I did. <laughs> and I went, well, this is interesting. And it was Ron Brand who was the catcher for the Astros in that very first game. And, of course, he was right. He did get the very first hit for the Astros, which was a triple. And Ron was a scout for the Yankees at that time. And so he told me that story. And the other part of the story that he told me was that when Mickey Mantle came up, Mickey Mantle came up and was batting leadoff in that game. Of course, the first game was an exhibition game against the Yankees. The Yankees had been in the World Series the year before against the Cardinals. And he said, uh, Ron Brand said, he said to Mickey Mantle, hey, you may, you may want to take a pitch because all of these flash bulbs are going to go off and you're not going to be able to see the ball. And Mickey Mantle, according to Ron, said to him, take a pitch. He says, I'm so nervous I can hardly stand at the plate. <laughs> <laughs> he told me that same story himself. And then he said uh, also to Mickey, the Hall of Fame wants the baseball. So we need to throw that out. That's right. <laughs> the other story I heard about that, and maybe from Ron or maybe even from you, was that the fact that the judge wanted a Texan to get the first hit in the Astrodome. Johnny Keene was a Texan, and he was the manager. And Mickey Mantle, of course, lived in Dallas. So I was told that that was one of the reasons they batted Mickey Mantle leadoff, is because they wanted a Texan to get the first hit. And, of course, he did. He got Mickey Mantle got the first hit, and he got the first home run. You know, the judge was such a visionary, but you can't plan on that happening. <laughs> You can't script this. Right, right, right. So you uh, you wrote this book to benefit the Houston Food Bank. Yes. Tell me about that connection. Well, I, I just, and this was before, you know, everything that's been happening in Ukraine, but um, it's just world hunger is, a, is an issue. It's going to be an issue for a long, long time, unfortunately. And um, I thought that it, it would be a good cause for this book. I thought this is something that really, truly affects a lot of people. It won't make much money, but let's do what little we can do to mm-hmm. um, to help the Houston Food Bank. Because I had read stories about uh, food bank was in uh, need of, of more food. It was, you know, the, the shelves were getting bare. So fortunately, you know, companies have come along and given millions of dollars, far, mm-hmm. far more than this little book could do. But it's something that may help a little bit with awareness as well as raising the little money from the sales of the book. So if someone get, wants to get your book, how can they do so? It's on Amazon, amazon.com. Okay. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, Houston Astros Golden Era. And uh, it's in paperback. And we have a hardback option now, yeah. too. Yeah. And, and Kindle. Good. <laughs> well, now I'm going to hand the microphone over to you as you talk to your co-authors, Mike Acosta and Phil Boudreau. Well, Mike Acosta, Astros historian. Now that is an honor that you have earned over many years. When did you become an Astros fan? 
I was a toddler. And by the way, thank you for that. <laughs> That's very, uh, very, very high esteem kind of title there. I was a toddler. I was like, I started going to the Astro games when I was like two or three years old. So there's a picture of me back in 1976 wearing an Astro shirt with my grandfather. So going back to them, that's that's where it started. So from that point on, you were marked as somebody who was not going to be separated from the Astros. But when did you actually start your employment with the Astros? I started in 1999, although it felt like it was a lot earlier because I was already at the Astrodome almost every day. But it was officially in 1999, and I was working as an intern in the broadcast department. Mike Cannon, Jamie Hildreth, they hired me on, and, and that's where it started. Have you always been a student of history, and is it only baseball history or history in general? I think it's history in general. I always loved uh, the sessions we had in school where we were reading out loud, you know, history lessons, and I, I really liked reciting them and telling the stories. And I'm, you know, being from Houston, I'm a big Houston history guy. So I love the, the history of downtown Houston, how the buildings were constructed, you know, who designed them, the, the, the whole thing, all the interesting stories around the city, and, and really just uh, American history. Too. I, mean, I, think, I think history in general. Uh, I really love it. And you're a member of the Astrodome Conservancy Board. That's a very important group, and uh, certainly anybody who's, who's reading this book that we put together is interested in Astro's history. But uh, you have put together a great booklet, and uh, you're working hard on a purpose to repurpose the Astrodome. How's that coming? Well, it's coming along very slowly, right? Uh, you know, it's been many, many years that we're working on, but uh, but I did put together a book here recently where I completed a, it's called The Astrodome Background, Philosophy, and Vision. And it's uh, kind of inspired with what the Walt Disney Company did back in the 60s when they wanted to have a vision for uh, kind of the way of thinking, what how they would plan for the future. And and this blue book of sorts became the, the footprint that they started on and, and just kind of guided themselves uh, into... Not, not across uh, just here in Florida, but also in other countries as well where they build parks. So put that together. Um, I'm pretty excited about that because it's the first time that I had all the concentrated renderings and models and kind of the backstory of the Astrodome and how it all intertwines and how it all shapes out for the future. And, you know, what we got to do is we got to reopen the Astrodome for public use. We got to have it here for decades. It was the epicenter for civic use here in Houston and there, there's, it's, it goes far beyond the memories. It's really just a symbol of the city. It's, it's so entrenched in the city's DNA. And I just want to be part of trying to get that back, you know, in the, the public conscience around here. Mm-hmm. Mike, it was so much fun working on this book about the Houston Astros golden era. And you've studied all the eras. So the one this club is in now is very interesting. And it makes you appreciate as we study these other eras how it took a long time to get to this point. Well, it did. And, and you know, you look at all the success that's happened. You know, I kind of I kind of look back at 2015 as kind of where things started to come together because the team had started to put together more wins. And, of course, it was the wild card victory uh, in Arizona and then in New York. And those were real big steps to, to getting where they were, where they culminated in 17 and then going to the World Series two times after that. And you just think of everything that came before. And it's not to diminish all the great clubs and players 
players and everything that happened, all the moments beforehand, but to have that amount of success in such a short time period, all these younger generations that have grown up with the Astros here in, in this decade, they really have gotten a treat because we had to wait a long time, you know, to get into the World Series or, or to win a few divisions. And again, not to discount from anybody else, the Nolan Ryans, Jose Cruz, Jimmy Wins, Bagwell, Biggio, era they were all fantastic. They did wonders for the city, but uh, this this era, that golden era, it's, it's very unique, and you don't see it happen to other teams like that either. So it, it is a very unique time in, in Astros history. Thanks for the visit, Mike. Thank you. Appreciate it. This episode of Life at the Ballpark is a conversation with Bill Brown, a broadcaster for the Houston Astros for 30 years, as he shares about his latest book, Houston Astros Golden Era. Once again, I hand the microphone back to Bill Brown as he chats with another of his co-authors. Well, it's been a joy to sit next to a gentleman for 30 years on Astros TV, Phil Boudreau, who uh, has handed me all these notes, making it seem like I know everything about Astros baseball. But really, he's the guy. When you started following the Astros, how old were you, Phil? I started following them in the, the 1969 season. I was uh, eight years old, and so got a chance to see. And I thought it was the best thing in the world the day that uh, Dennis Minky and Jim Wynn both hit grand slams in the ninth inning of a doubleheader in the, at Shea Stadium, listening to it on the radio. At that point, I fell in love with, with baseball and fell in love with the Astros. And through all the trivia you've accumulated, all the minutia, all the memories, when we tried to pack this into a book, uh, did you think, is this possible in a 300-page book, or are we, can we only hit the high parts? Or What were you thinking? I wanted to see the things that made it fun for me, the things I remembered the little things. And so we have people and weird things, things that were strange, things that weren't like the normal thing you would think about in baseball. And a lot to me is how it was built together. I always have been very big fan of the, the comings of the ballplayers, the goings of the ballplayers. It was always the 24th and 25th men on the roster. Everybody plays a contribution in that. And seeing that, uh, kind of telling some of their stories and, and seeing people behind the scenes, but also the coaches. Uh, obviously the work of uh, of putting together, rebuilding the team like they did in the 70s and they did in the early 2000s. Those are interesting things to me. Things that are different um, about the ball club, whether than just the wins and losses on the field. You did a lot of the writing in this book, and I particularly enjoyed the part on Andres Reiner, who scouted a lot of the Venezuelan talent and developed that whole academy for the Astros and, and really mined a, a load of talent from that country. And, and I think uh, the Astros were a forerunner of that trend in baseball. And the other part was the best and worst trades. What, what did you enjoy the most about putting things into this book? The best and worst trades certainly was a, um, was a big part of that in thinking about the, um, the players who I saw who just you, the day Joe Morgan was traded didn't, I thought we made the best deal in the world when that happened. Lee May, we needed somebody to hit the ball at the ballpark, not realizing that uh, we just traded this uh, day or two later, we trade John Mayberry away because Lee May's got first base and John Mayberry's going to play for the next 15 years. So, you know, you, you, you win some, you lose some. There are the days like when the day the Astros traded Mike Hampton to the Mets. They got some good players back, but usually what happens if when you traded Joe Morgan, you traded Mike Hampton, 
uh, you don't get back at Jeff Bagwell. <laughs> there are those great days when you do get back at Jeff Bagwell and you get some players who've really helped the team. Astros made a lot of good trades in these years. They also made a lot of the ones that broke the hearts of the fans, too. <laughs> uh, you were a major contributor with all the trivia questions in the book, and uh, people really love baseball trivia. I don't hear as much about football trivia, basketball trivia. What, what is it about baseball trivia that people prefer over the other sports? Well, baseball is a stat game, and so a memory, a name. You remember a great football team. Uh, in baseball, you identify with the players. Uh, all of us look like baseball players because none of us are six uh, or six foot ten inches, or most of us aren't, or most of us aren't 350 pounds that can go block someone. So baseball is the sport that I think we each can find the player who kind of somewhat looks like us, kind of somewhat feels like somebody we can re- relate to. And when you're playing Little League Ball and you got your number on the back and you got number 11, okay, that's Dennis Minky. He's going to be my player. Yeah. Or, or Larry Durker, who was my first Astros buddy. You remember those things and those connection points. Thanks so much for your major contribution to the book, Boots. Enjoyed it. Thank you much. Well, this has been so fun to hear you talk to your co-writers and to tell the history of the Astros for the last 60 years. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Well, I just um, want to thank everybody who's been interested to listen to the podcast. I want to thank you and uh, just all the fans down through the years who have been, you know, as you well know, they, they allow us into their homes at, at dinner time and other times. And um, they're so gracious with their comments, uh, their letters and things of that nature and, and buying these books. So uh, my thanks to the fans. Legendary broadcaster and author, Bill Brown. Thanks for sharing about your life. At the thank you, John. Tune in each week for a new episode. I hope you'll subscribe and share with your friends. Life at the Ballpark is produced by Jim Governale. I'm John Frost sharing stories of life at the ballpark. <laughs>